Welcome to the Robert Hunt Financial Market Update. It's your host, Robert Hunt, where I look at the week's financial news that can be a bit confusing, misleading, and take you off course. I have to make it actionable, understandable, and clear. What a week. What a show. It's December, so the news is very good. A lot of great articles. We are going to look at a Wall Street Journal article about what the stock market taught us this year. A lot of these types of articles are coming out, kind of these year in review. So we're going to be looking at that. And it's something to learn from and also some things to avoid in that article. This is the Wall Street Journal. And then we're going to look at return data. So this is a year-to-date... Actually, this is November data. Just November, month-to-date. And we're going to see what we can learn about all these asset class returns, and then everyone's favorite, everyone's favorite, Robert's Corner, where we're actually going to look at some things I struggle with as an investor, advice that I need to hear, and maybe you can benefit from that as well. I hope you can. So at the top, what the stock market taught us this year. Now, this article was written, I don't know these folks. This is Melody Hob- Melody. Hobson and John W. Rogers Jr., they are investment professionals. So these are folks who are not as myopically focused on keeping their costs low, investing simple in time, rising long. However, all truth is God's truth, and we can learn from them. And so they focus on various themes, and we can learn from that. But one of their first themes on what we can learn from 20, 23 and look back as don't fed watch what are they talking about well they're talking about the federal reserve and in particular they're talking about watching interest rates and seeking to use interest rates as a barometer as to whether you should be investing or not so the article reads the psychology has dominated the stock market all year. This psychology, this Fed-watching psychology, creating a futile guessing game. Are they still raising rates? For how much longer? Will rates fall soon? Will it be a hard landing or a soft landing? But this Fed obsession, reacting to every pronouncement, simply sucks up time. It has all been noise. I like that. I thought this was good. And I couldn't affirm it more. I think in hindsight, as the stock market is hitting highs, and we're going to look at what a great November it was at our next article on this podcast, but when the stock market's hitting all these, these new highs, it is very tempting to look back on the year and forget the calamity and difficulty that befell the average investor and the advice, which wasn't very good, to, oh, no, the Fed's raising rates. You can't be in, you can't just hang out in cash. Don't push it. Don't fight the Fed, whatever they say, and it takes us out of that long-term game. So these these two rightly say, don't Fed watch, don't do it. Uh, they also say, don't buy the hype. Now, they're talking about, hey, don't get too excited about celebrity stocks, okay? So, the article reads, The sell-off in many areas has inflicted pain that has been concealed by the cap-weighted dominance of a few celebrity stocks in the S&P 500. A handful of tech and tech-related stocks, weight loss drugs, and AI providers 
offer the sum total of stock market outperformance this year. So these folks are a little more individual security selection focused. And what they're telling you, which I don't agree with, but it's still something to learn from. They're saying, hey, these, these top stocks, these Apple and Meta and Alphabet, NVIDIA, these big technology companies are actually the only securities that are contributing to the stock market return, basically. That's what they're saying. And that, and I hear this all the time, that means, hey, we got to really cinch down here, bear down here. Don't, don't, be a, don't be a fool and just buy the index just because all you're doing is buying these tech stocks. You're wasting your time. I disagree. I disagree. So I say, do buy the hype. I'll put an asterisk by it. What they're saying to do, their, their application is, hey, look at small cap stocks because small cap stocks, they give data. Um, the Magnificent Seven, these seven big tech stocks, are now three times the size of every stock in the Russell 2000 combined. These are these small cap stocks. Therefore, the market's way out of whack. It's way out of whack. Don't, don't buy the hype, they say. But what's the alternative? Because don't buy the hype sounds intelligent, doesn't it? Who wants to be the person buying the hype? I know I sure don't. Don't buy the hype. I mean, maybe don't buy the hype on Aggie football. Maybe. But don't buy the hype on index funds that are market cap weighted because therefore you're just beholden to these big company stocks. Well, we can keep it simple. I was helping um, someone the other day think through large cap versus small cap allocation. And um, I was saying, you know, you can do this tilt to small caps. I'm, I'm not saying you can't. This was a, uh, a pretty seasoned investor I was helping. I said, absolutely, you can do it, but just know this. I mean, you might have decades where you underperform and very few investors can stick with it. And I then pulled up some, some data, namely, when you look at the last 10 years in the S&P 500, it is up 158%, okay? So the last 10 years, it's up 158%. I then said, all right, what if you had just done the small cap thing? It's up 87%. Now, wait a second. I thought small caps over the long haul, like 80, 90 years, were supposed to outperform. That's what the data shows. And yet, you could have believed that data and underperformed for a decade. Now, what do you think most investors do about four or five years in? Most don't even make it this decade. They throw in the towel. And all of a sudden, they're market chasing. So when we read this article, well-intentioned as it may be, don't buy the hype. If we don't understand what they are talking about, we're not going to be able to take those thought captives and make, captive and make it obedient to financial truth. Because what the financial truth tells us is, hey, I don't know whether small cap or large cap is going to do better in the next five or ten years. I don't. It's probable that over the next 90 years, small cap outperforms because there's a ton more volatility with small cap, and that's what it had shown historically. But I wouldn't want to bet on it. I wouldn't want to make a bet. I'd rather focus on what I can control, which is costs, time horizon, simplicity of investment. So I'm going to say do buy the hype asterisk, meaning do not be ashamed to have your market cap weighted index and have it be overloaded with these tech stocks. That has been a delightful, delightful thing for the for the investor. They said some good things too. 
Um, they say don't fear volatility. Absolutely. So this past year, uh, 2023, there were numerous headlines that I read where and anytime it was volatile, you'd hear folks, here come the calls to stay in cash. Here they come, especially as the interest rates were going higher. Folks were saying, oh, yeah, go ahead and get in that money market fund. That's where you need to be to just anchor down in this financial storm in front of us. Well, now you look back and you go, well, wait a second. There was a financial storm this year because I see year to date on American stock markets up almost 20%. Almost 20% year to date. And yet, I know it's not too far out that you remember, yeah, there was there was a lot of uh, hand-wringing by the financial media about all the things that were going to happen to us and didn't do us a lick of good to listen to it. It very well could have. stock market could have gone down, but we don't know. So don't fear volatility, sure. They give some reasons for it that gobbledygook doesn't matter for you, the RHF listener, just know volatility to the long-term investor is not a big deal. We should think about our investment portfolio, should it be publicly traded, the way families think about their farms. A crazy neighbor across the street may yell price quotes at you every other day. 800,000, 1.2 million, 700,000. And what will you think of them? That person's just kind of a loon. Now, if maybe they say out a crazy number one day, maybe. But you really don't have to pay much attention to them. Well, the stock market's like that. You just have millions of neighbors yelling at you all throughout the trading day what they feel the price of your securities are. That doesn't mean you have to act on it. In fact, you probably never should. So we got to think like that farmer, those family farms. It's about what the farm produces. It's not about what the nominal value is that the crowd thinks it is today. That's nice to have. That's something that's called liquidity. When you hear that word liquidity, it means there's pricing that's marked to market. The market's giving us, but that's meant to serve you. You don't need to serve it. So don't, don't worry about that volatility. Don't do it at all. So they, they end it <clears throat> with something that I'm, is going to be related to Robert's Corner. They say, don't bet against America. Now, who could be so foolish as to do that? Their point being, and they quote one of our favorites, Warren Buffett, who says this in his 2012 letter, of course, the immediate future is unknown. America has faced the unknown since 1776. Periodic setbacks will occur, yes, but investors and managers are in a game that is heavily stacked in their favor. They, they then read, indeed, right, indeed, our markets have overcome a Great Depression, multiple recessions, global and regional conflicts, a modern-day pandemic, and all of the kinds of unforeseeable blows. Through it all, America has endured, and we have every reason to believe she will continue to do so. Preach. Love it. Amen. Here's the problem. What I am seeing more and more of is America investing, you know, focusing on America at the exclusion of international investing. And I know why. That year-to-date investing I gave you on American stocks, close 20%, it's only up about 8% on the international year-to-date. And when you focus on the longer term, it's nauseating. The 10 years, the last 10 years, this is not an annualized figure, this is a total figure. Over the last 10 years, you're up 11% total and international investing. Total. America, over the last 10 years, up 146%. So international's up only 11%. America's up 146%. Imagine sitting down with a client saying, you know what you need to do? Invest in international stocks, which is what I've been doing, and it is not fun, even though it is what I believe to be the right thing. 
So let the data lead you. Let it let it push you because if you focus on your gut and you just say, don't bet against America, we're just going all in America, you're going to miss out because there have been 15-year periods where international stocks outperformed. We don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. Okay, we are going to look at some return criteria here. Not return, absolute return data on asset classes, and I want you to guess. Okay, just November returns. In the month of November, which was absolutely bananas for stock market returns, okay, it was, if you sat on the sidelines, if you were not faithfully listening to this podcast and doing as I instructed, haha, you would lament. But let's talk about it. Gold, what do you think gold's up this month? It's up 2.5%. Only one asset class on this list, this is from Mr. Peter Maluk, Creative Planning, only one major asset class was down. That was crude oil. For all my energy investors out there, I lament this. It's down 6.5% of the month. You know what the top return asset class was for November? Think, I want you to think about it. This is such a great lesson in headline risk not necessarily being helpful for investment returns. What do you think it was? United States Real Estate Investment Trusts, up 12.1% in the month. Yes, that's right. Commercial real estate in the U.S. that, yeah... When you read the paper, you see bad, 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 bad. But the stock market, it is a predictive machine. It's a great lesson. It's a predictive in nature. And if, if it had been done doing poorly previously, the market felt, and it has lately, that interest rates are going lower. And therefore, those cash flow streams that are coming from real estate are going to be more interesting to investors because they know that they may not just get to rely on bonds forever. In the last two years, though, you're down 25% in total on that same asset. NASDAQ's up 10.8% in the month. Silver's up 10% in the month. Can't say I recommend investing in that. 20-year Treasury bonds up 10%. Wow, did we see that coming? Small cap up 9.2%. And isn't this fun? Here we go. I've been pushing it. The Developed Markets Index, which is Japan and Europe, up 8.8%. Bitcoin up 8.1%. Again, can't say I recommend it, but also, again, can't say it doesn't hurt to see it at 44000 a coin. As I say, don't invest in it from 1000 to 44000 Where would... Oh! Emerging markets up 7.1%. So, to me, when I saw that data for November, I thought, wow, so much happens in a month. I, I do, I feel... Uh, any folks that are trying to time the market, move in and out, I cannot imagine the whiplash they must feel trying to do it. So let's not be them. We don't have to. And also, goodness gracious, when I look at all these asset classes, I start to get anxiety thinking, can you imagine? I mean, I look at investment construction that has double this, and I don't know how the professional that put it together keeps track of it. But they have a model. It's not worth a hill of beans. You don't have to do it. All this can be replaced with one security. You know, you've heard it before. One security rule them all, just like Lord of the Rings. One ring to rule them all. This is VT, Vanguard's total stock market. Of course, pair it with bonds for those who need to, or cash. And then in closing, it's a wonderful day in the neighborhood. Won't you come to Robert's Corner? Robert's Corner is a place where you can look behind the curtain, as it were, and see that, yes, even the voice behind the podcast, the person who you might just think has it all together, in fact, does not. You probably don't think that. But for, for those of you that do, 
What am I thinking about in Robert's Corner? I'm thinking about the times I disagree with people that I respect a great deal. That's actually where I struggle quite a bit. And there are two areas right now that I'm struggling. One is cash holdings. The other is international investing. Now, there's a third, but I don't really disagree with anybody on it. I just struggle with it. Cash holdings. Mr. Morgan Housel, whose new book is out. I think I'm going to get it under the tree for Christmas. I don't just think. I'm, I have 100% certainty. I've heard folks have enjoyed it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to let y'all know what I think. But he, Mr. Morgan Housel, the author of The Psychology of Money, one of our North Stars here at the Robin Hunt Financial Market Update, do you know what percentage of cash holdings he advocates for, for himself, out of his total portfolio? 20% at all times. This is not like an emergency fund thing. This is not, oh, my family spends a certain amount, I'm putting it aside. He does it just for portfolio construction as an insurance on him making a foolish decision. This is the guy that wrote The Psychology of Money. He has a better understanding of himself and other investors related to psychology than anyone I know. And yet even he thinks he cannot keep up with investing, stick with a long-term plan unless he has a large cash holding. Now, I don't do that. And I don't prescribe that for clients typically. I will prescribe cash holdings based on your family spend rate. And therefore, hey, if we need to, it's a little bit of a Dave Ramseyism. We have an emergency fund and we, we basically stack it. We can make it bigger based on family spending, your type, your, the job you have. Housel says, no, no, that cash portion of my portfolio is really just to keep me from going nuts if a 2009 happens. And I have been wrestling with that, that wow, if, if he needs that, maybe more of us do, maybe I do. I have not had any sort of conversion experience to doing that because what enters my mind is the actual drag on performance, which of course, over the 100-year period, cash performance is very poor relative to stock, so I don't want really to do it. But yet, I think he's onto something that I should wrestle with more. And then next one is international investing. My heroes, Bogle and Buffett, you know what they said? It's okay not to invest in any stocks internationally. And yet, all the, the research I read is that, no, this is actually a critical component of portfolios. And so for clients and myself, we use international investing, but it gets harder and harder the longer and longer international stocks underperform. You listen to that 10-year performance, year-to-date performance. It has been the last 15 years, I believe, that international stocks have underperformed. But the very best investing is when you've done your research, you know your data, you're about to invest, you want to throw up in a trash can, and you invest anyway. That's the best. That's when you're doing the best. That's the best. But it's going to be hard. Each year, it gets harder. But I am hopeful I will stick with it. I think I will. And then market timing. I uh, am a natural-born market timer. And so I think most of us are. It just makes sense. It makes sense uh, on the service level. Of course, at the core, it's rotten, does nothing for you, drag on performance, yada, yada, yada. But again, this is Robert's Corner. I'm telling you what I actually do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Um, create... I think it's helpful to create structure for your investing. So if, if you are tempted to market time, what I do is I force myself to invest every January. Now, sometimes you feel like a fool, and this might be one of those years for me where each January I invest, well, not so smart looking this year because it appears like we're going to be at all-time highs <laughs> in January, and that doesn't feel good. But, but, but. What is it? What it's a forcing mechanism for me because if I wasn't careful, listener, you already hear my thoughts. Oh no, market's all time highs. Maybe I just wait. Uh, uh, uh. All of a sudden, I'm not focusing on the main thing, which is keeping that time rising long. 
do you really think 30 years from now it's going to matter what my entry point was in 2023? Like, really? Do you really think that's going to... No, I don't either. But those thoughts cross my mind. And I think to myself, ah, man, I don't... So be willing to create structures for yourself so that you don't outsmart yourself. Because as you know, the most important things we can focus on are keeping those costs low, that investing simple, that time horizon long, because that's what's going to give you the best shot on your investing.